So we're rolling. Cool. We are live. This is You're Doing It Wrong with Mark Henderson Leary. My name is Mark. I have a passion that you should feel in control of your life. And so what I do is I help you get control of your business. And part of how I do that is by letting you listen in on a conversation between two people who have a passion for excellence in the entrepreneurial world, talking about something that you already know something about. But this time, we're digging deeper and unlocking those little tips and tricks and that, that deep knowledge that allows you to break through your ceilings and really get control of the business and ultimately live a better life. And so today we're talking about a wonderful subject or a collection of subjects with, a, with a, a, a fantastic, accomplished business leader with a great story. Uh, John Schneider is running a killer company, uh, more than 50 people right now, really feeling in control of their world and their life with a lot of structure, running solidly on EOS and uh, um, you know, as an owner or the owner, you've got partners, uh, but that wasn't always the case. And there's a lot of nuance and color in John's story that I think we can all learn from. So to dig into that, I just want to say, uh, welcome, John. Thank you, Mark. It's great to be here. It's really, it's really good to have you because I, I think we talk a, a lot of different, talk about a lot of different things on this podcast. Uh, everything from marketing to uh, the life of the visionary uh, and getting out of their own way. Uh, we talk about integrators, what they are, how they fit in with the whole mix, uh, inner work, all these different things. But what you and I talked about, what I thought was so cool, is that the structure. The, you know, the path to being this healthy EOS company, getting what you want out of the business and life wasn't so straightforward. Uh, so, you know, to walk us through that, how, how did you how did you get here? Sure. I mean, I'm, I've got one of those stories that's up from the mailroom. I started out at NetFriends. We're an IT company uh, doing support, and uh, we're based in North Carolina. I started out uh, just as a field tech, um, and uh, that was back in 1999. I did a lot of stuff with Y2K prep and things like that around that time. Um, and um, I was in a company that was brand new and... Um, just kind of got started. I was fresh out of college. Netference is the only job I've ever had, which is a, a little odd. Um, and I have, um, I basically just kind of was chilling and, and enjoying helping people out and solving problems. And it wasn't probably for, I guess, almost four to five years after I was at Netference when I started realizing that there was no vision, no visionary. Um, we seem to have values. We're very grounded in values, but um, we started um, actually ambushing David, our founder, um, every year at the Christmas party to say, like, what's the plan? What's the vision? And he's like, the, the plan is to have a good party. Yay. He would dodge it really well. And, um, and quite frankly, he never, ever set a vision. Um, and it's actually one of the reasons why I – uh, boldly, uh, before I was even 30, went up to him and uh, said, I don't want to raise this year. I want ownership because I want to try to steer this place. I didn't know what the heck I was talking about, um, but I just was so hungry by this point because I'd been at that point, I'd been at NetFriends for eight years and I enjoyed my day to day and what I did, but I did not see a vision. I had no idea what we were going to be, what we were working on. I was watching opportunities go flying by. Um, and I just knew that if I could potentially become an owner, maybe a vision would come to be. I didn't actually have the, um, the experience or wherewithal to, to be a visionary or to come up with a vision. I just knew that the absence of a vision was acutely felt. So how and did that conversation go? 
he uh i was in his office uh this was like 2007 and he was like wait what you want ownership he's like how old are you i was like i'm 28 and he's like you're a baby and i was like hey i've been working for you for years um and he said well uh okay let me think about it and then he spent about 18 painful months thinking about it oh that's no that's a no joke that's a long time (laughs) well he went on kind of a a life quest of his own trying to figure out well what do i want because at that time one of the reasons we needed a vision was we were doing software development cabling IT support, staffing, we were doing all sorts of random stuff. And one of the things that was painful was um, David's a wonderfully accommodating guy, really good problem solver and crisis manager, but he's very accommodating. So he was like, yes to that, yes to that, yes to that. And um, without ever really saying, hey, this is what I think we need to tackle as a company. So we had just kind of become a smorgasbord of doing a little bit of everything. And um, and he was very frugal, so he only wanted to hire like one person at a time when we could afford it. And I kept feeling like I lost to the developers or lost to someone else um, when my support team needed more resources. So I felt constrained by resources. I didn't feel like I had a purpose. Every year, uh, like New Year's, I was like, gosh, can I do this another year without knowing where wow. this is going and, and what's happening? and. So anyway, back to that you're talk, conversation. You're talking, about, you're talking about a lack of vision, yeah. and, I, and I believe that, but I also hear a real frustration with a lack of focus. Oh, it's huge. Like, like oh, there's yeah. There's so much going on, and nothing's getting moved forward because everything's getting a drop of attention, and nothing's getting like real attention. That's right, and no one's accountable for anything. Um, David is a wonderful person, and um, and that's what kept me there. You, know, you can go a long way being a wonderful a uh, person who's capable and skilled in many ways, but I wasn't being led anywhere. There was no leader. There was no f- sense of a leadership or, uh, hey, we're going to go conquer that hill. We're going to go uh, to this great place, and, and this is this is a rough plan how to get there, or, hey, there's no plan to get there. I just think that would be cool, don't you? None of that happened. It was very wow. interesting. Um, and uh, it's weird that I tolerated it for as long as I did, Um uh, it's a, I think it's a testament to the area that I'm in was really just full of great things to do and, and distractions, maybe. Um, the people I worked with were great. There's lots of things you can focus on when there's not a vision. Um, <laughs> <laughs> well, that's sort of not focus, right? Uh, there's a lot yeah, of things fo- you can do when you have no focus. <laughs> quick, quick copy edit needed. Focus, wrong word. <laughs> no, it's beautiful. That's, that's exactly what people say. How, like, how many priorities can you have? Well, technically, one, because it's the one thing that comes first. First. Right, right. So, but yeah. I'm curious, the, the whole concept of the vision, was there an ego ch- check when you said, hey, there's no vision? Was he like, no, I know. Or was he like, what do you mean? There's a, lots of vision. We can do anything we want. No, I think he, he pretty much avoided it. I mean, he knew there wasn't. He kind of knew that if he picked the vision, there'd be losers, right? Ah, and, yeah. uh, and David's accommodation made it so that he didn't want to pick sides because Quite frankly, you you know, if you're really going to pick something and focus on it, that does mean you are not focusing on lots of other things. Yeah. Um, yeah so yeah. so you can almost boil was, the whole thing down to this inability to say no, because that's the trend yes. you really said. It's like it's yes to everything, which means we're doing everything, which means there's nothing in specific that we're doing. Correct. So that's that. It, it is interesting to see how it almost kind of comes down just to that. Just figure out how to say that no once in a while, and all this will start to chip into into place. Yeah. Now here's the thing: he would say no if something cost a lot of money, but he couldn't say no to an idea 
The idea was too interesting to him, so he became a vessel for a lot of ideas. Um, but but without any one of them bubbling to the top, it you know, and it, it became just this weird. Um, a lot of things started, not a, things not moving forward. Things get stuck as soon as you got to buy something. That's right. <laughs> it's like use download the free trial, and as soon as it like needs a license, keep like yeah, I'll just think about it some more. <laughs> That's right. And and a quick quick aside about how he ended up not. Uh, starting NetFriends without a vision was it was it, he was given a book of business as um, a little bit of a like here's a here's a an opportunity for you that landed in his lap good on him for seeing it as a great opportunity and seizing it but one thing led to another and that's kind of how NetFriends came about one thing led to another and it was a lot of happenstance and then suddenly he had a full fledged company around him um, one thing too that happened while I was asking for ownership which was a proxy for we need a vision and it's got to happen sooner rather than later was there was two top level visions that were competing and when the leader doesn't pick a vision there there begins to be you know a vision forming underneath the leader or the owner in this case david and and that's something that created enough conflict inside our business that it really could have caused the whole thing to implode um, so luckily, was there he, like a mutiny forming potentially, or was oh yeah, it, yeah, because okay. you, you start getting factions, right? So people will form, um, and, and it wasn't based on politics. It was really based on the fact that you it was a zero sum game. If you're only going to hire one person at a time, you definitely have a winner or a loser on that, and so headcount becomes your score keeping mechanism. And if my team can gain a person, we, we're up a point, right? Or up a touchdown. Pick your, your sport metaphor. Yeah. Um, and, and that was quite literally happening. And, um, you know, we're smiling at each other at lunch, like, you know, the different people with uh, their plan. Everyone's all chummy and friends, but it was, uh, you know, underneath the table, we're like kicking each other in the chin, shins. Wow. I mean, you know, it was, it was some pretty open hostility that was forming. And so something had to give. You can't go without a vision, you know, indefinitely, uh, a vision will happen and it may not be good. It may be very dark. So you're 28 and you ask for ownership and that's proxy for vision. You know, how did, what was the next major step? Waiting, waiting and waiting. (laughs) (laughs) Um, no, in all seriousness, after, after that 18 month period, um, David split the company into two pieces. Um, one was a software development company, and then NetFriends proper, the original company I was hired into, um, became an IT services firm. And that was in 2009. Um, uh, the Great Recession, you know, it, it had just started. So here I am. I, I have this business um, and really didn't know anything about anything. The first year... Oh gosh, we must have. I was. I, we I worked my butt off that year. It was a, a lot of work, and I think we made something like twelve thousand dollars profit. You know, there were sixteen of us, and I was like, "Wait, wait what? <laughs> wait, nine, hang on nine, a second. Nine hundred bucks a piece. <laughs> yeah, I, I remember just being stunned. And David, David was like, "Hey, we were profitable," <laughs> and I was like, "Hey, I thought. Oh gosh, I should have asked more questions." <laughs> Oops. That's, that's the youth really shining. But but we turned oh, it yeah. around and um, and I was able to cobble together a vision-esque thing and, and really say this is what we're going to focus on. We came up with uh, – it was kind of like we, we used our website as a way to say, hey, that's, where, that's, that's what we're doing right now. And, and simply not being distracted by software development or something like that, we got momentum just out of that. So I didn't have EOS at the time. I did not have anything – uh, in, no business coaching, no no real management, mentoring, or training, but I did I did know that at least clearing the clutter, 
and having something to focus on will get you pretty far. The problem is, is a vi- that isn't a vision and that also isn't a plan, which um, I learned uh, about three, four years later that, that you've got to have both of those because the company grew 40% year over year in 2009, 2010, 2011, 2012. So now I have 45 people reporting to me. Business is booming, but I'm, I'm sleeping three to four hours a night, crying a lot. Um, one of the things I jokingly say is uh, this coffee is really salty, and I'm not sure if it's the tears or the stress reaction I'm having. Ah! Um, but yeah, we got, 2012, we were, we, we just, it was just an insane year. And at, that was when I realized not only do I need a plan, um, I need managers because I had 45 people reporting to me directly. So that, um, I, you said oops. that, and, I, and I, the first time I heard that, I was like, oh, you know, sometimes people just say that and they mean, but you mean directly to you. Like they were directly. like, you're my boss. And so yeah. I, that's a lot of one-on-ones, man. Oh, well, <laughs> let's be let's be quite honest. One-on-ones weren't happening. I had an open door policy, um, uh, you know, which is yeah. a proxy for, yeah, I'm not doing management. Um, <laughs> and um, the other thing that was really troubling about it all too was I was still 30 hours a week billable to customers um so it was it was crazy and and again you know no vision no plan when the growth happens because it may happen accidentally not by design then you're not really prepared for it and you certainly don't adapt to it well right well because you there's no observation there's no ability to make take change make changes intentionally but i want to i want to pause for a second because most companies just completely disintegrate like asteroids coming into the atmosphere <laughs> in that in what you just described because you know you're emotionally wrecked you yeah. you can barely get through you're billing 30 hours a week and still 40 some odd people are still working with you yeah that's actually very impressive I mean, it's not good. Like, I'm not saying it's good. I'm saying you, you built some endurance and you are tough to have survived that because that is brutal. Yeah. Because what normally happens in that case is the cascade. You can't keep up, and then the culture falls apart, and they and the the people leave, or they the clients get upset, and it just falls apart. But you just kept gas pedal down. We're going to turn the crank faster. That's how we're going to get this done. Until what happens next? And I don't actually know. It sounds like I'm just teed you up. Like I know what's going to happen. I don't. But I'm assuming something must have happened. Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, to to go through it, uh, 2012. I I just said, hey, you five people, your managers now. So I just picked five people in my team that I thought, well, you know, roughly, yeah, that they could probably manage. Uh, and then the rest of the people, I, I, I taught. I had an individual conversation with everybody in like a two-week period, and that conversation was one of two flavors. You're a manager, and these are the people that that you are now managing, and the rest of the folks were like, "This uh, is your manager. Please respect Stop and me. <laughs> Stop, yeah. stop, stop calling me. <laughs> yeah, and it was it was kind of crazy, and um, and uh, you know, obviously, I uh, uh, mistakes were were almost guaranteed to happen in that. So not all the managers, um, you know, stepped into that role and were successful. I look back at it, and of course, if if I had done this intentionally and with planning and EOS, I think a lot of the managers would have succeeded in their role. I didn't pick a single you know seat, you know, no right person, right seat. Um, you know, happened at all there. It was just simply uh, seats. I think I need roughly a manager per 10 people. So yeah, okay. That's how I divvied it out. Yeah, really strict, strict math, yeah. And, and that's not good. Slap dash, <laughs> quick, quick and, and dirty. Um, you know, because 
there's strong winds in a, in a business climate. And when you put up a little rickety shed, it's not going to... It's not going to last. It's going to hold up. Yeah, yeah. It's going to get leaks at a minimum, but more likely you're going to wake up and go, "Oh, that's the stars. Um, I shouldn't <laughs> see the stars." <laughs> so yeah, and and but um, to keep going with it just a little bit further, um, we we started doing this tumble forward iteration year after year until um, around um, honestly 2018, and it's it's embarrassing to say how long it, it was with this kind of bumbling around in this interminable period. But it wasn't until EOS we, we finally – it was like – you know how you have to hear something seven times? Um, <laughs> yeah, we, we finally had a person say when I was really, really ready, I think you need to read Traction. I really think you need to sit down and read Traction. And, you know, like I'm sure you've heard this story a million times. It's like a bolt from the sky. It's like, yes! You know, and I'd, I'd seen um, the, the I, I forget his name, but the guy who did Good to Great. You know, I'd seen him talk. and yeah, Jim been, Collins. Yeah. Jim Collins, thank you. And I've been to all these little, you know, one-hour business meetings and, you know, gone to the webinars. And you come out of it going, oh, yeah, that's some good advice right there. You know, top three things I need to work on or something. But... EOS, it's like I needed it in a book form that took me through the whole narrative and gave me a prescriptive plan. And my team was sure ready for it. Um, so we, we adopted EOS like... like that, <laughs> well, that was funny, the, the team being ready for it. That's one of the things that I encountered early on. I'd, I'd be brought in to talk about it uh, to the team by the visionary or the integrator or both. And I, I established pretty quickly that the leadership team oftentimes wanted it more than the visionary, but they were trying not to uh, embarrass the, the visionary <laughs> as something like, "No, you're we're doing great. We like it here, but this might help. This could help. You know, you're doing good, man. You're, you're doing good. We love you." But yeah, oh. start the system like now, immediately now, because now. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I had people telling me, "Oh, the accountability in this place is terrible," or you know, nothing gets done unless you personally weigh in on it and say something about it. So delegation was impossible. And I learned later, looking back on it, I was like leg sweeping the people around me, left, right, and center. I would like delegate to them, and then like I would get antsy within a day or two, and then take it back. Um, mm, and, yeah. You know, I was doing all sorts. I was, yeah, every single thing you can imagine you shouldn't do. I, I was committing those sins. Um, but, uh, you know, across the, everyone, everyone in the company really welcomed it. The detractors I had, um, and, I, and it's totally fair, they were saying, this is a fad. This is a phase. John's yeah. doing the little thing. You know, give it three months, you know, and um, and that was probably the only negative pushback I got, which was constructive pushback. Which it, hidden in that little phrase was, "Can this not be the next fad, please? I'm tired of fads." Right. Yeah, you're exactly right. They're they're saying, saying it's a fad, and I really need you to prove me wrong. Right. And I'm going to put up the resistance because I don't want to be hurt by this, but. It'd be great if we, yeah, I, that's exactly right. Because uh, I get that, it's like on well. the end of uh, Focus Day, you know, when I, the very first day, I get lower ratings around that one thing. They say, I want to believe this could be a 10, but I'm going to give it a 7 because it only is a 10 if this actually plays out. And then oh, in we Vision haven't earned building, it yet. Yeah. In Vision Building Day 1, I'm getting 10s. They're like, because we actually came back. <laughs> actually are doing this and this and we're, we're taking it seriously so true so true um so yeah 2018 we started implementing eos and it was i 
it, it was so effective so quickly. Everyone really snapped into place and saw the power of it. Now, it didn't mean that all of a sudden the problems went away. We did start identifying issues left, right, and center and breaking them down into to-dos that were actionable. We, you know, were much better at it than we were on day one or day 10 or whatnot, but um, the hunger and the eagerness to give it a real shot was, it really meant a lot to me, but it also, in hindsight, was like, yeah, because it was so overdue. I mean, you're watching some very, very thirsty person chug a gallon of water. <laughs> so, but yeah, I mean, it was, uh, yeah, there's so much more to unpack there. But yeah, that's that's it in yeah, a nutshell. So, that's the right. overview. Yeah, so that's, okay, so you got into EOS in that regard. So, you know, you, we talk about this concept of the, of the visionary and the integrator, and you... We didn't, we didn't really let's, – let's unpack that a little bit. So the visionary and the integrator are the sort of archetypal yin and yang leaders uh, that every business we've discovered, every business needs an integrator to integrate – and harmonize and glue together the major functions of, of a business. And for if you're not familiar with that terminology, you can think of it at that as the boss. <laughs> the, 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 the boss you're thinking of, whether this is the president, the CEO, the general manager, whatever title you're thinking of the boss, you got to have that person who's data-driven, accountability-oriented, can delegate, and can unify the team. And what's, what you need to know about that, if you don't already know about that, is that there's another kind of leader that if they're if they exist, you gotta you gotta adapt to that, and that's this concept of the visionary. And the visionary could also have similar titles. It could be the CEO, it could be things like that. But it's where, where this integrator is focused on accountability, is good with hard conversations, is probably more patient with letting processes roll out. They can see steps one through 10, all 10 steps. A visionary might see steps one and 10, and there's probably something in the middle, but I don't have time for it. And it's very and very emotionally motivated, and, and it's bigger and bigger ideas, trying to take a bigger and bigger bite of the future, and is motivated to be outside the organization and hoping everything is running great back at the shop. And so the yin and yang of integrator visionary is so important. You've got the outside leader, the inside leader, leader outside leaders visionary inside leaders integrator the visionary brings the ideas and the integrator stewards the plan to completion and drives accountability so with that primer in place you were you were saying there's no vision i got to bring this vision but you don't think of yourself as is that visionary talk to that yeah i really don't i i, I i'm getting my uh, footing on that front and uh but just recently um and thanks to eos it's really made me do some hard thinking um, I tried to run the company through an integrator prism or integrator frame uh, without having the terminology. And what I mean by that is I tried to coach and mentor and lead by example. And, and I would do those 10-step plans. Oh, yeah, here's what we got to do. And I would rattle off the things that need to be done. And, and I'm pretty good at following up on those things later and, and staying on top of it. Um, I love that. I, I, my term for it was operations. I love operations. I love getting in there and and not just meeting the the customer and shaking their hand for the big sales win, but really, you know, being there and building that relationship with them over time. So what happened was, is we, we had, we had these like little mini visions, um, nothing that was really substantial, um, a lot of it was more like, let's not do that. Um, and, and, you know, and, and it took me a long time to realize that, that, that you really just can't get very far. You're very zigzaggy in your approach. You're kind of lurching around roughly in the right direction, but without a real clear path forward. So, um, so 
to really answer your question in a more direct way, I think we basically were we're probably going to um, fall into that same trap without me stepping up and saying I need to I need to force myself into a vision. I need to surround myself by um, really smart thought folk thought leaders and get some get some ideas that maybe. I'm not the guy that comes up with all the best ideas because a lot of my ideas are incremental, but I can still see a really good idea and I, and recognize that that is something that we could integrate here and and by proxy get a vision out of that. And that, that may sound um, less inspiring and like, wow, you know, because I would love to say, oh, yeah, I, I basically go spend a, a week at the beach and then come out of it with an epiphany and we go do that. Um, but largely, I find myself so strongly in that integrator mindset that what I have to do is almost create a, a vision through like the stuff I'm reading and exposing myself to that I can then adapt and make it our vision. And I hope that doesn't sound strange or sad, um, but um, it's something that I think I'm, I'm kind of, I'm in this, I'm in this position where somebody has to create a vision. I know that not having a vision is a catastrophe, but I also know that my partner, David, he's not going to be the guy that's going to suddenly 20 years after knowing him, he's going to supply it. Um, so I don't know. Did I did I cover that enough? <laughs> well, you know, I think I actually find what you said kind of inspiring because what I've um, discovered and seen, and I didn't discover all this, and a lot of this is Gino's work, and Mark Winters has done a lot of this as well. That this idea of the visionary and the integrator isn't necessarily exclusive. You're not one or the other. You have a propensity for each in a certain quantity. So like I could measure you, and in, in fact, Mark does this with you know. Your vision, you have a visionary score and an integrator score. You can score mm-hmm. low on both, high on both. And did you happen to have your? Do you know what your scores I, are? I do. Um, I don't have the exact number, but I'm like mid nineties for integrator and like l- low seventies for visionary. Yeah, perfect. So that's, that's exactly. I, mean, I was expecting something kind of in that category. So somebody who's passionate about something can be the visionary, even if they have the ability to be the integrator. The the problem with the visionary and integrator. Uh, personas is that they're they're incompatible with each other in any given moment if you want to think big thinking pragmatically and saying no is not really conducive it's pushing and pulling at the same time like you want to either push or pull and that kind of creativity just just does better with with two people doing it so so it's like the whole reason you have you know two sets of attorneys you know you want to you know the prosecution and the defense it doesn't make sense to put it into one person and that's the same thing in the business and so it's not that you can't do both it's that you really had um, a need and the need the visionary side every visionary is doing the same thing they're filling a gap right so mm. so your your primary tendency to be an integrator is, is so easy for you you can do it the visionary was trying to get pushed out of the way because the integrators look like i don't have time for your visionariness i don't want to mess with that i just want to integrate but the but the visionary inside you was like no dude we need a vision and you need me to out a little bit at least a little yeah. bit at least I can do it and it's in conflict right if you do let it out it, it creates this kind of push and pull I don't like wearing both hats but you're, you've are you been able to do it and what I, I've found is that those integrators who really are great what they're craving and, and visionaries don't get this this is, this is hard for a visionary to get a vi- an integrator is craving a, a vision to be given to them that can fuel them yeah that's and, so and true 
it, it's so like what you want to be is on the same page with a visionary. And so you don't have to do all that pre-processing thinking. They do all the pre-processing thinking. And you go, hey, is this a pretty cool? Do you like this picture I drew? And you're like, man, that's an incredible picture. Let's go make that real. Yeah. That's what you want more than anything. You know, it's funny, too. We've got a, a gentleman who's been with me. His name's Colin. He's um, He's been with NetFriends for like 18 years. Uh, quick, funny side story. When he was hired, um, I wasn't there for the interview. Um, I was just a peon at, at NetFriends at the time. But um, I remember David told me, oh, we found your clone. And I'm like, oh, really? Tell me about this clone. He's like, yeah, he bakes his own bread. I'm like, oh, I don't, I don't, I don't do that. And then he, he, he mentioned like three other things. I'm like, I don't do that. He, who, do you know who I am? You know? and, um, but I think what David got at, and, th- and this is actually an epiphany that's cu- dawned on me pretty late recently, is it, Colin is an integrator at his soul, uh, uh, just like I am. And so what's been mm, interesting, yeah. though, is Colin's probably much more purely an integrator than I am. So by proxy, when I'm with Colin, my visionary side pops out a little bit more yeah. by contrast. Yeah. And, um, and if you can Colin, let go of one, the other one can do its job. And he's yeah. wicked hard on me. No, 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 no. Go back to the root. No, let's break this down. You have not thought this through enough. He's just so good at coming at me full bore without any concern of hurting my feelings you know you know he knows i've got thick skin and that we work really well in this crucible um he's always professional and polite don't mean to disparage his character or anything but he's definitely well, tough it's, on it's, me yeah it's a uh, constructive conflict you know, absolutely yeah. and he what is our integrator i mean he's that's um in fact we we have company rocks that we're working on um his he's basically his responsibility is to ensure that those rocks remain on track are no more than two weeks off track any given quarter and go to completion and um you know we've we've made that his core priority so he's helping me form the rocks and he's helping me um and my team complete those rocks he's he's great so it was interesting talking about this as like sort of a non-standard configuration. I'm realizing right now I'm working with a company who's a very similar situation oh. um, in, in terms of the identity. The, the way you found it, your way into this is very different. He is, and we've identified, he is a master integrator, like top, top shelf integrator with a vision for his organization being very franchised, very franchisable, very process driven and all the things that an integrator would love. But it's, it's re- his business is really around franchises. It actually is a franchise and, it, and with a multi-level model where all the franchising process has become really critical. And so he's able to see that he as visionary is to know what perfect integration looks like and get that actual integrator in place. And so he, he has to kind of like model it just long enough to get it in place and then really get the heck out of it even though even though he's going to be the very best integrator for that his higher purpose his higher role is visionary and he's able to do that and let it go and it works that's awesome yeah i Letting it go is a real challenge, um, and I know that that's not a unique challenge. Right. I, I mean, I, I mean, my hat tip to anyone who can who can go that deep because when I see myself in an integrator role, I'm putting a piece of that idea deep into my soul, into my brain, and leaving a piece of me with it as well. I really want it to go somewhere because I feel invested in it in a deep way. Um, so leaving that. To just go on its own and, and, and in the hands of others is a, is a perpetual challenge for me. 
So, yeah, it's interesting. I, I think the challenge for high integrator visionaries is um, that you know the difference. You can see details. I mean, it, all visionaries do too, but in a different way. Visionaries are emotionally detail sensitive. Like, mm. like, what was that comma about? Like, you know, like that slight tone of voice is not what we how we talk around here. You know, something feels weird in the culture to me now, and I can't put a finger on it. Visionaries are very good at these very sensitive, hypersensitive things. Like, I don't. There's nothing wrong, man. It's like, no, there's something wrong. I can smell it. That's what visionaries are great at. But the integrator side, it's like, I can see that this is a 123 step process. A visionary will never know that. Like, I would never know that. A good integrator mm-hmm. knows, like, no, you, you think that you've got it all figured out with the 10 steps. It's not. It's 123. <laughs> and until <laughs> you get up to speed on fully breaking this down, you're going to have problems. And so it's that x-ray vision. And so to really train somebody to your level of, of integrator and, and your way, that, that would be a little bit tricky. Absolutely. Yeah, and um, we, are, we haven't really talked about my other partner, Neelish, um, he, um, cause that's something I think is kind of interesting. You'd think that with my understanding that I don't have a vision or that we need one, which I definitely knew, um, all throughout, you'd think that I would look for and seek, um, a visionary to fill that gap when I'm looking and trying to say, who's the, who's the partner that's going to join me and David, what are we looking for? Um, instead I, I chose someone who really had proven themselves in the, in, in an integrator type role and an operations manager role. But I saw that they were ready to make a transition into being a salesperson into, into more of a sales oriented role. And, um, you know, obviously, uh, I shouldn't say obviously because you, you, you know, uh, not everyone who's listening knows this. But I mean, Neilish is fantastic. He's a wonderful partner, and he he really is an embodiment of the soul of the company uh, in a deep way. But um, in many ways, he's he's st- we still have this. Um, it, it it put me in the same position where I was in, where I still didn't have a vision, a person who was going to set that vision and allow me to go out and do my little integrator thing. And I remember in the first year of our partnership struggling with that feeling that I, I didn't get exactly what I wanted out of Neilish's partnership, even though he was phenomenal, he was doing everything right. It was because I hadn't been uh, fully honest with myself and really thought about what that gap was that I had between me and David um, that I was still seeking. And it's not because, the I, again, I, I'm in the role of a visionary and I'm okay in that role, but my super happy place is when I can just sit there and play in that integrator headspace. Um, still working on the business instead of in it. I do prefer that, you know, working on it instead of in it. But um, Yeah, yeah. Integrators do that too. <laughs> yeah, that's a yeah. good point. It's, I mean, oftentimes the visionaries are doing their on it on the golf course or away. Um, but that's right. Even, even integrator who tend to be very thinking about their eyes are in towards the business. What does the process need to look like? But it's still, it's still, they're still working on the businesses. Not, they're not typing their way out of the problem. They are thinking their way out of these problems. Right. And, and my, my brand of, integ- of integration is usually trying to think about the new thing I'm going to integrate in. So I'm trying to constantly kind of, you know, being in IT, you, you're, you're in a pretty fast evolving space and, um, and you need to stay up on the latest and greatest and um, try, to, try to say, okay, what's this new product or this new thing that's coming out and how are we going to fold it in? And I'm not talking about the little incremental tiny things, but the bigger, the bigger shifts that are happening. Um, in our industry. And boy, howdy, this year, I mean, we, we saw that 
you know, accelerate beyond any, I mean, we did 10 years of, of IT maturation as a society and, uh, in, in less than a year, uh, thanks to everybody working from home and all the things that came with that. So let's talk about that. What happened this last year? <laughs> uh, what didn't happen? I mean, this is a, <laughs> oh my gosh. So yeah, the pandemic was insane. Um, for, for us, we, um, what was probably the weirdest thing, about the pandemic, and this may sound really strange, was we'd actually been running drills, um, preparing for working from home or, or what would happen if we had a major regional disaster like a pandemic. We were actually planning on that um, starting in September of 2019. We did this risk assessment and um, we ended up uh, getting a list of like 20 to 25 risks, big, big level risks that we needed to grapple with. Pandemic was number three on that list. Um, and we, we said, all right, well, let's, let's sit down and have a meeting. We went to the CDC website and downloaded their little checklist of what you need to do and started prepping and planning for well, what would we do if there was a pandemic and we had to send all our staff home and everyone was quarantined. And I got to tell you, when uh, it was the first Monday in March, when it looked like this thing might actually be coming here and we might need to actually bring that plan out, it was the weirdest thing. It was like, did we make this happen on some level? <laughs> <laughs> like, this is not a drill. Oh, and, and I liked it when it was just a drill. <laughs> oh, man. Sure. Yeah, I mean, it's almost like make up a crazy scenario, make up something that could never happen. Right. Okay. Cool. Uh, disease. Right. Okay. Let's yeah. let's run the traps. And oh my God, don't yeah. anybody think of anything else crazy? Okay. <laughs> Just for for real. Don't for everybody reals. think about next year as very benign. No more crazy <laughs> drills, please. Yeah, I would like the the drill we run is what if we run out of snacks? Let's stick with that <laughs> level, right? Like, ah. <laughs> okay, you know how to bake, right? Okay. <laughs> Where's the nearest store? Uh, quick, get the credit card. Um, yeah, oh man. Uh, that, but that that was probably um, the biggest trial for everybody. Um, that uh, I mean, maybe maybe um, you know you have test cases here or there, but the the collectiveness of it all um, was something that I hadn't seen before. Where it really felt like we were all running from the same, you know, stampeding bulls coming after us that was a really um strange and and scary position because there it didn't feel like there was any safe refuge and yet boy did we have to focus on innovation and evolving and uh standing by our people and um i'm super proud to say that we stood by our people and we didn't cut salaries we didn't cut staff we we you know stood strong and um that was very, very hard to do, not because we didn't have great people, but in the face of all the advice I was getting, it was like, cut your staff 30%. You've got to do whatever, you know, you got to, you got to prepare for the worst. And, you know, of course the stock market's crashing. So it looks, you know, looks like, okay, yeah, maybe they're right. But to, to you know, if I didn't have EOS and it was uh, pre EOS, just still didn't have any of that discipline. I do fear really down deep that, I don't know if I would have had as much of a rooted confidence in the place that I was in that I could withstand that advice that I was getting. Every person I talked to, everything I read from all those channels were like, cut, 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 cut. And um, and that was difficult. to. And I, I don't think without that um, 
clarity of our values, clarity of where we stand, and how our power is our people. We stand by our people. That meant I had to do it, even when things were really tough. So, what was you, you got advice saying got to cut thirty percent? Was revenue falling off? Oh yeah, okay. oh yeah. Well, we were contracting, um, and people were paying slower. It was the it was um, there was there was a, a genuine reduction in our our gross revenue. Um, we were um, gosh, I, I I hate to say an actual number, but um, let's just say April was the biggest down month we've ever had by like a factor of three (laughs) just that one month was painful and um and you don't know if it's gonna get worse right it's like it's it's, it's just the one point in this and it's like it's one thing if it's a dip but if this is the beginning that's a whole new thing and that's what we were staring at um and a big shout out i mean we went and we read we um went for the the ppp loan Mm -hmm. um that gave us definitely a, a really good backstop um, of course, you know, we were in this interminable period where every day felt like a month and you just didn't know what was going to happen if you were going to get it. But it, so even in that uncertainty, which in in the moment and in hindsight looked like it went on for for what felt like an emotional year, um, we had to stay steadfast and big testament to David and Neelish partners. We really rallied as a partner core and um, stayed too, true to our values, stayed true to our company's goals and, and mission. We, you know, When you have a plan, that plan is your life raft and you're able to, um, you know, you, you sure do miss the big awesome ship you just, you know, got knocked off of, but you're able to say, okay, we're not going to drown because we've got this plan. And, um, and that was real and we clung to it and we stayed true, and it gave us a way to focus the company on that plan um, and say, look, we don't want you to watch your, your back because you're worried about what, what's going to happen to your job or something like that. We want you to focus on this plan. And we repeatedly um, said that in all of our company meetings, which we started up uh, every single week to really keep everybody focused on that plan, keep everybody focused on their certainty that they were we had their back. And by doing that, that kept us on track. That kept us focused. So, in terms of time and pulse, you've got the plan. Like you've got this dramatic fall off of revenue, and we're going to keep our people. Is this a one month plan? Is this a two week plan? Because at some point, the plan has to change, right? So, how are you addressing the? We're going to go back to the plan and readdress it, and if things have changed. So we we did talk about that. We said. Um, so this is this is some insider conversation that I had with David and Neilish. We're like, we looked at the numbers and we're like, we can stay the course through June. Now, if June looks awful, like truly awful, as bad as April does, and May isn't good either, then we're going to have to do something. I don't know what it is. Um, you know, we're but but we have that kind of leaders eat last mindset. Um, you know, we'll, we'll dig deep into our own coffers. We're not going to take compensation, that sort of thing. Um, cause we want our people to, to thrive. Now that's, a, I'm not judging anyone who uh, doesn't have that kind of mentality, but as a partner core, that's how David Neelish and I think about our business. He's leaders eat last. Okay. So, but you, but you had run it, you, you felt like you could get enough of a time horizon to not revisit it for a while. Right. So, so you and had that done bef- that math. Okay. And that's- that was before the PPP loan hit. Once okay. the PPP loan hit, we're like, okay, we're, we're probably good for the year. Um, you know, we, we can, we can make this go. And plus I was seeing the results of that, um, that 
message to the team and the emphasis on the strategy, folks were innovating. Folks were rallying. Um, so I was watching this inspiring effect happen within my culture and within my company. And that wasn't because we just suddenly started paying attention to culture. We had been talking about how the powers are people, and we had been really emphasizing this. Here we are in the moment where it's tested. And I, I looked around at my team and, uh, you know, through the Zoom slash Teams portal that I had. Um, but I was able to see that there was a genuine awareness and nodding with me that, okay, yep, I believe his words. I trust him. And he, and I think he's going to stay with me. And that meant that we got the best of, of everybody. When you see that happening, you realize that the way out is through. The way we're going to get to the other side of this is with this team focused on this plan. That's how we're going to get there. Um, and you know, you, you take that whole uh, reluctant visionary concept that I that I that I have. Boy, that felt good to have that vision and to have the team rally behind it. I can see why visionaries are are who they are. It's intoxicating to see. A, a, a something that's in your brain and, and uh, come to life um, it's powerful and uh, it, it, it was just wonderful to see that happen and it was something I could focus on and, and my partners could focus on through the gloom and, and, and doom that was a lot of <laughs> a lot of 2020 well so it's something that's and I recognize I'm going to ask a question that you might not have fully uh, answered so if you're like I don't just tell me that we'll talk about it later. <laughs> but you keep coming back to reluctant visionary. You've been out there. You've you've successfully created the vision. You've done it, and it's um, it's been powerful. And you've you've led through chaos and and crisis, and it's paid you back. And and it, I still hear like, yeah. And and <laughs> and any time I can take that hat off, I do. <laughs> so. It's true, though. I mean, I'm, I'm like the I'm like the guy that swims. Like, I love getting in the water, but after 15 minutes, I'm like, and I'm done. <laughs> yeah, you know, so I, I I think there's two there's two things here. I want to create value for people listening to this, create value for myself, and create value for you, and and those are potentially all different. But one of the things that I think is really resonant with me that I think a lot of visionaries could take away from, like, not everybody wants that job. Like, don't feel too guilty when you love it so much, right? A lot of visionaries go, oh, I can't have that job because it's too fun all the time. Oh, like, no. all I have to do is think and, like, think about the future and then come back and, like, yeah, that's, like, no, don't don't mess with the metrics. Like, no, I don't want you in the business. That's not a good use of your time. Like, do get out. But we need that vision. It's really inspiring. When you come back into the office and you're just so excited about where we're going, we love it. Now go leave and do it again. <laughs> yep. No, it's true. I mean, a little uh, anecdote, like a side story. My sister went to college, and she thought she needed to be a science major. And, it, and you know, she hated going to class. She hated um, school, was struggling to get a B. And then, and, except in her history classes, she was crushing it. And she felt mm, guilty yeah. doing her. I mean, she would she would turn in like papers that were twice as long, uh, you know, like way more, you know, overdoing it. And she's like, I just couldn't stop, you know. And, and she funny. thought, and she thought it was wrong. And it was like, but you, you know, I remember talking to her one night, and I was like, you should be a history major. She's like, but that's not a real major. I was like, yeah, it is. It's a thing. And who cares what you ultimately do with it? Isn't your happiness what really matters? I mean, you're struggling doing something that's not not natural to you go to the thing that's natural and 
soon after that conversation, she did. I, I don't think I was the only one telling her that, <laughs> um, but but she pivoted and she just crushed it, getting all A's, having a great time, and graduated um, in great standing. And uh, we're all really proud of her. She's awesome. But if she had kept going against the gr- the grain, um, that would have been. That would have been really uh, a lifelong struggle for her, and she may have been turned off from like learning, you know, like as an adult, like ah, I don't learn. I'm, I guess that was a, a childish thing I used to do, and that would be a tragic outcome. I think the reason why I keep pivoting around the reluctant visionary is I look at like that story by my sister, and I've got dozens of other stories like that. My worry is is that when you're going against the grain like that, I, my worry for myself is, oh no, what if I end up like them, like ha- like hating mm, yeah. hating the place that I'm in. The good news is, is I think I found a way to do it. Even though I'm reluctant about it, I have like like that's the story I mentioned earlier about Colin. I found someone I can have my integrator love fest with, um, okay. and yeah. and that and that really fuels and feeds my soul. And um, and you know, and I've also learned that you know, turning to someone like David, hoping and hoping for a vision. Is, is not going to be good for our relationship. He's not going to supply that. Does he bring other things to the table? Oh, yeah. He's fantastic with crises. He loves facilities management. When the toilet's out in the office, boy, he's all over it. Isn't that weird? That's the kind of thing where I'm like, oh, no, not interested in that at all. And David's like, I'm on it. I got That's this. Funny. Yeah, and, uh, and, and I mean, he does a lot more than just that. But, I mean, boy, he's he's so good at so many different things. But vision isn't it. It's just not his thing. And and um, and so, but I do know that we need one. I do know that every business needs one. And uh, boy, I'm impressed by anyone who's a natural visionary. It's they're fun people. I mean, they really are. Um, <laughs> sometimes fun, you know. Sometimes you like that fun to be on the other side of the fence. <laughs> so, <laughs> it's like fun you want to watch, not fun you want to live with. Uh, so it, that's fair. <laughs> uh, so, you know, being and I'm and I'm not trying to beat up on my my visionary clients and friends. Or for myself, you know, I I think a lot of us start businesses as visionaries and, and we kind of go through this delusion of like, man, why can't everybody be just like me? And uh, and if we had more me's, everything would be going great. Somewhere in life, life holds up a mirror and it's not good. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, no, no, Mark, one is quite enough. <laughs> <laughs> let's, just, let's be sure about that. Uh, and, and you have a contribution. You definitely do. But we need some diversity in other parts of the puzzle to create a full picture. And, and that's exactly that's, it turned out to be the case. Oh yeah, I have I have multiple mirrors in my company, um, and they they have I know all their names. I will not list them here because we don't have that much more time. <laughs> but yeah. I have so many people that are um, I don't know what it is. You know how like there, you have that guy that you know you can you can crack jokes about because he's a good natured guy, and and that's actually kind of what he wants. I have I seem to be surrounded by people who uh, are very comfortable giving me frank feedback. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's good. That's good. Yeah. Well, one of the questions that I ask a lot of my clients is uh, this question that seems because you said it like every business needs a visionary, and I don't I don't take that as um, as obvious. And I ask them, do you have a visionary? And and if they might answer that, and, and sometimes the visionary leaves, uh, retires, uh, other things happen. Uh, do we do we need it? Still, we still need a visionary, or something even changes in the organization. And I've had a few organizations de- decide that they either don't need one yet or don't need one now for simplicity or for the fact that the business isn't changing much and that kind of thing. Uh, so you take it as obvious. You you do you feel like NetFriends needs a visionary? 
Gosh. Oh, I'm, I'm afraid to answer that question fully, um, which means it's a really good question. I, <laughs> you know, I think on uh, short-term sprints, you could probably get away without a visionary. Um, but if you're trying to grow, you're trying to attract really passionate people, people that are going to take you somewhere – Oh, gosh, I feel like you need that inspiration that comes with the visionary. You need a rallying cry. You need someone that can give everybody a sense of purpose and place. I look at a visionary as someone who who is your best recruiter, not just of people uh, who are going to work with you, but they're the recruiter of your customers. They're, and, that's, and maybe I'm, I'm putting too much stock in the visionary because I, I don't necessarily have one here. So I'm, I may be putting them on a pedestal that is, no, I like what you're you know. doing. Cause you're, you're making the case for like, no, no, I need it. Cause it sounds like a kind of a wish list for you. Like you're doing So I bet I'm betting without having had this conversation in depth with you <laughs> offline that what you just outlined are the things that you kind of force yourself to do that you'd right. like to, to have to not do. And so uh, I think what you're saying is, is very powerful and, and, and I appreciate that you're going there with that. Yeah, I mean, you know, think of – and in my head, to give everybody a relatable story, I mean, all of us have been either to a concert or a, um, a, a talk with, a, with someone and they have moved you. You know, you really felt honestly like something shift in your chest when you listen to them speak. You, you know, you're inspired and you're taken somewhere. Maybe you're transported – imaginatively somewhere maybe you just come away with that with this weird buzzy feeling in your chest that's just so meaningful and yeah. and it's a spiritual moment and and i i've gotten a taste of that through various other endeavors and and in so many ways i've hungered for that in the place i spend the majority of my time each work week you know i've wanted that same level of of being stirred and moved deep in my soul and and that's what i think a visionary does not every day not like okay you've moved me for the eight o'clock hour it's nine o'clock i'm ready for my next spiritual moment but just (laughs) you know so not not putting the pressure too much there but there you could look back and say wow you know i remember this talk that i had with you and you 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 made me think about things differently i crave that and and yet i understand that it's it's something that I don't want to say I'm not going to get, um, but it's it's something that I've I've kind of given up on on just sitting around craving for it, and I've mm-hmm. just tried to recreate that as much as possible. I look at the people that I work with every day, and I try to give them some approximation of that, knowing that I'm I'm not the best vessel for that. I know, I, yeah, I, yeah I, I, but I give it my best. No, I love it, and I, I think that what you're describing is what I what I see. Every organization needs some form of beacon. Uh, mm-hmm. It's the, sort of the lighthouse or, or whatever. Where, where are we going? North Star, whatever whatever your metaphor is. Um, I always just want to say that the, the visionary is kind of the high priest of what's right and wrong in your organization. And, right. and that's subjective. That's kind of how I describe that. Other people probably dis, uh, that's not ERS pure. There's probably people who would disagree with that. But what I do know is that every organization kind of crafts what they think they need. Sometimes it's crafted on the basis of what they have. That's, that's a unique thing about the visionary because sometimes it's sort of built around the person who's in the spot at the moment. But there is a real uh, opportunity that comes up when a vacancy 
is discovered or created. Because uh, I, I take it very seriously. If, you, if you're going to tr- uh, transplant a, a visionary, it's kind of like a heart transplant. Like You really yeah. need to think it through. It's, it's not just an operational or a finance thing where if you got the skills, you're good. It's like you're going to decide what's right and wrong in many ways in the culture, and you're going to lead the organization in many ways. Uh, and so I, I really encourage people to slow that process down. Think it really, about it really hard. But there's an interesting example of visionary transition that uh, I think is really informative for a lot of companies. Well, if you, there's there's two I'll mention. When you think of what happens with like Apple, that's a, the visionary was Steve Jobs and Tim Cook is the integrator. What happens when you transition to a new new um, visionary? A lot, right? Does the confidence in Apple very different these days? And, and I won't go into that. And, and many people are sick of the Apple analogy, but it's a good one to, to, to touch base on. EOS worldwide, however. The original visionary is, of course, Gino Wickman. He wrote the book. He created. He's absolutely the high priest of EOS. At some point, he decided it was not his best calling, and the new visionary was a guy named Mike Payton, and he took over for a while, and uh, and there was a new chapter for EOS, and what needed to happen there was it was different, and they had a different description of, the, of what that seat looked like. And then uh, last year... Peyton said, I don't think this is the right thing for me any longer. I'm not living the life I want to live, and so I think it's better better for me to live the life I want to live and, and create an opportunity for someone else to be the visionary. And so there was actually a vacancy in the visionary for, uh, we'll call it not, not, not six to nine months. I don't know the math because COVID was in there, and that, and that really didn't help things uh, in terms of the search. And then uh, a, a new guy, my, my friend Mark O'Donnell, just took over as the visionary. And it's a whole new set of, of things. And it's a little less high priesty now, which I, you know, I like the high priest concept. I like having that. But it's a little bit about uh, you know, having somebody who can envision the future seeing around the corners we can't see around and so the the question starts to become are there corners that we need to see around and if so we might need a visionary if it's a straight path down the hall maybe visionary is not so critical but if there's turns down the road and we need to know what's on the other side of the turn then the the call to have that that visionary could be there and it could be worth figuring out what that looks like and finding uh, you know the right person for because it sounds like it takes a lot of energy from you to do it it does take a lot of energy um but I feel like I feel like I'd be so afraid that you know someone would take things in a different direction. <clears throat> at um, it's almost like I don't want to say that that ship has sailed and they you know I've I've kind of given up on the vision. But I've also found that you know people evolve and change over time, not radically. It, and you know it's pretty rare for someone to suddenly pivot. But um, I am thanks to this COVID and and seeing my team rally and and getting really inspired and moved by them, I, I'm I'm going to start trying to really think about, well, maybe that feeling that I have that I'm not a visionary or that I'm a pure integrator and I'm, and, and, you know, maybe that, that image that I have of myself might need to go through a little bit of evolution. And I might need to say, maybe I'm immortalizing and, and, and holding up this, I'm an integrator uh, too much and might need to say, you know what? Try being a visionary for a little while. Try to go into that role. I'm surrounded by people who are pretty darn good integrators, who are pretty good at, at, at coming up with the multi-step plan and executing it. And you know what? If I get out of their way fully, but I also say, hey, I think let's, let's integrate in this direction. I think that there could be – that could be the next leg in, in our in, in maybe the next decade um, at uh, – 
at NetFrance. If there's another pandemic, that decade will happen within the span of one year. But um, hopefully, I get a normal decade and uh, let that let that pan out. I, that's that's kind of where my headspace has been drifting towards, um, and and a lot of it is because you know what this COVID situation has done is it's made us all think about and reflect on what is our core and where are we at now and where are we going to head to. That's that's forced me to really sit in the visionary space longer than I normally would left to my own devices. So sometimes those real intense external factors that come in at us um, are ultimately the medicine we need um, for, for you know evolving as human beings, evolving who we are. Yeah, we've all been through a lot of intense uh, therapy in terms of the, you know, seeing seeing the darkest, weakest parts of ourselves and being forced to deal with them, you know, at a much accelerated rate. <laughs> and so, isn't that I, true? You know, you know, I don't want to speak for people who are really suffering at a at a really deep level right now, um, because it would be too hard for a lot of people to see what's going on right now as something good. Uh, but for a lot of people, there there is a lot of light in that, and, and many most people I, I talk to do see the last nine months as, if still painful, um, paving a path for a really great future and really been very teaching and illuminating and transformative in ways that really would almost have been impossible to to transform in in any other way. Mm-hmm. Crises and um, really tough. Uh, tough things that happen to you that are that are truly beyond your control really do shape who you are help center you into what matters most the, the collectiveness of covid the collectiveness of this pandemic i think has been um a powerful thing to see because you know you're not just you know when you have like a, a loss of a family member that's a very personal very deep thing but it happens in your immediate family your Im- immediate vicinity um you know, this has been something where you can look around and, and this is this is everywhere and impacting everybody. Um, so, yeah. Well, one of the Heavy things stuff. it is, and you know, in, in kind of in that line, I, you know, I, I don't want to try to, you know, coach you publicly where I didn't turn intentionally ask questions that really throw you into uh, into sensitive spaces. Uh, but I'm really inter- I'm really curious to see where this goes over time, more than we'll cover in this podcast. Uh, in terms of whether you feel like your life would be at its best if you relinquished the visionary responsibility to somebody who you believed in their vision 100% and thought, this is amazing to follow this bright North Star, I can just go to work. Or the, the opposite, which is, you know what? I can have somebody do this integration work and I can completely let go of it and I can be the right visionary right now and let that be 100% of me. I'm I'm leaning towards the latter. I'm gonna. Uh-huh. I'm not gonna say I'm I'm gonna uh, fully execute to that because I uh, the tendencies that I have are very strong. But um, I do think that you know I don't want to say thanks to this year, but because of this year, um, I think that's probably the direction I'm gonna head, and it's probably gonna fill and satisfy a, a deep need that I've had for for the last twenty years um, that I'm I'm just becoming more and more in touch with. That's pretty cool. It, uh, yeah, and so it is super cool. It's a, it's a great story. It's great for people to hear. Um, I, I, I was kind of observed that a tight, loyal culture is almost always the result of visionary work. Execution and profitability and results are almost always the result of integrator. And so you have to have both. And, and if you're doing both, you're going to have to 
pick at some point. <laughs> Assuming the vision takes you to a higher level. Now, you do have that choice. You can say, you know what, let's optimize where we're at. That's totally an option. And so let me ask, are you planning to continue to grow and, and dominate more, or are you, you want to make the most of where you're at? Um, I, I don't want to go in down too many different directions, because <laughs> um, that could, that, again, we, we add another hour to the whole um, yeah, sure. podcast. But um, I do think that I have I have a plan in both directions, and part of the vision is me actually sitting down and making sure I've got focus on the one that makes the most sense and that I'm going to get passionate about, and I can then spread that passion uh, into the company. So I'm not necessarily, um, you know, trying to to dodge that question. I'm mainly saying if I really answered it, I have a, I have a feeling that I would talk for twenty to thirty minutes in some sort of rambling fashion um, because it it's. It's gelling in my head. It's starting to form, and um, I do know I've got to pick one and uh, and that's stick with it. Visionary talk, man. You just get in the room with your integrator, man. That's exactly what that's for. It's I, that I need some friction. time. Yeah, you do, man. <laughs> well, so I, not to change the subject exactly, but this is a kind of a parallel thing, and I didn't want to get out of here without talking about it. You you were all working into working together uh, in the in the office before pandemic, yes. Yes. And so then, you know, in a, in a, in a twist of fate, you suddenly needed to manage everybody remotely and you needed to help a bunch of clients also work remotely. Um, I like to say, because a lot of companies struggle with that, and this ties into vision because it's where we're going, but there's also the execution piece. And so I kind of want to – the reason this is, te- this is paired up, we know where we're going. we got the vision. This is the visionary stuff, but we've also got the on-the-ground execution. A lot of companies I've talked to got really uncomfortable with work at home because they don't feel like they can manage. And what I say to those f- folks is like, if you don't know – if you're not comfortable managing people from home, then you should not be comfortable managing them anywhere because you don't know what you want from them. How did you encounter that? So we've, we actually have a tendency to all be remote. I did not actually have an office at NetFriends until 2016, 2017. It's, it's crazy. I, I just I worked either at a client site or at home, encouraged everybody in the company to have that same mentality. Um, we did not have to expand our office space much until 2016 um, because we no one really came into the office um, other than the wonderful people who did our financing and dispatching and things like that. But the, um, the majority of the company was atomized and spread around in our research triangle area. So I'm very comfortable with that remote management, creating a sense of culture and place and identity that's not tethered to a geographic thing. Um, the, um, so we were, we were structurally prepared for that. I mean, maybe it's because we were, um, our roots are going out on site to customers and fixing problems because that's where the problems were. Um, but I think in, in many ways, even when we, when we came back into an office space, and let me tell you, when everyone's in a room and you get that electricity of, of everyone working together and everyone's focused on the whiteboard, boy, that's great. And that is still the most efficient way to get things done um, when you're trying to strategize, brainstorm, that sort of thing. But from a managerial perspective, as long as everyone has a clear sense of their role and their purpose, the training is good. So you really focus on good onboarding. You know, that first week, boy, you're setting the tone. And, and by the way, Mark, um, the first training that everyone has with, with, in the company is with me to tell them the history of NetFriends. I walk oh, them through yeah. where we've been it's, and it's where we're at. Visionary stuff, man. That's visionary stuff. <laughs> and I close the work week, the first yeah. work week, with uh, what's our values and did yeah. you see them this week? Did you yeah. see them in action? 
yeah, yeah, it's just probably true that I'm, I'm, I'm in the role and I just need to, like, uh, you know, accept it. Um, but, uh, uh, but yeah. Because so you're actually I, talking, even this description of what's going on, it's all about the core values. We've got to set expectations. Yeah. You know, and, and even from the integrator perspective, and what I kind of thought you would go to, and I'm going to take us there, is scorecarding. Like, what's the clear, how do you manage somebody from home? You give them the, the spot on the accountability chart and you tell them what's expected of them, step one. You put them on the scorecard so that you can measure their your activities and actions. Uh, and then if they've got projects they're working on, rocks or, or how you would kind of manage to that. And then you, you talked about um, training. Like, well, that's process. That's a component in EOS. And so if you've got good scorecard, you've got a good accountability chart, and you've got a good clear processes, then you can manage people from home. And if you totally. can't manage from people from home, then you should think about those three things. <laughs> Do we have Absolutely. You know what the funny thing, though? I, I have to make a confession we're really bad at scorecards. We're working on it. Boy, we're working on it. And this is probably, this is that, that part that pushes me towards vision and away from being a good integrator. I'm actually, I'm actually not that great at the metrics side of it. I don't know why. Um, I, I think it's like, you know, when I was, you know, studying science in college, what attracted me was biology, not because it had the least amount of math. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I love science. I love problem solving and those sorts of things. But I, I, I think I'm more in the touchy feely space of problem solving. So um, we have we have taken multiple whacks at scorecards and have con- consistently found it to be the hardest thing. I w- no, d- don't get me wrong. We we come up with a number, we put the number up, and we we go to that number, we hit it, and if we don't hit it, it's an issue. We talk about it and we solve it. So we we do all the mechanics, okay. but it's finding that perfect measurable for each person. Um, that is still a work in progress here. Now we only adopted EOS, you know, two years ago, um, um, twelve if you count this year with being a pandemic year. But um, but we have we have struggled with that. That's something that we need to work on. And maybe that's the part of me that needs to say, you know what? Other people are probably better at this. And if I fully vacate that integrator space and allow my team to work. Um, they probably would do a better job identifying those scorecards, getting the right scorecard, the right number for each person, and um, holding them accountable versus waiting for me to you know, have that one-on-one with them and we hash it out. Um, well, there's a life. So let's talk about the scorecard a little bit. So there's, there's two ends of the spectrum in the scorecard. Uh, and one is this, the scorecard at the leadership team level. And that is the leadership team sees the health of the business overall. It's an aggregate sense of I look at these 5 to 15 numbers on a weekly basis and I can relax because I know what's up. That's what that's for. The other end of the spectrum is I'm I'm an individual and I have a job. And I don't want to wonder if I'm doing a good job based on the expression on John's face. I want to know I'm doing a good job based on the, the, the widgets I put in the box, the calls I made, the, the quote I hit. And so one, two, or three numbers that give the absolute pulse on this is a good job in general terms. And those are the two ends of the spectrum. In between, we have departmental scorecards that give, again, this sense of team health. We want the, the, the leader of that team to see this team overall is healthy. These are aggregate uh, indicators of usually, and we talk about weekly indicators, these should be leading indicators, activities that when they happen, good stuff tends to happen. It's not our revenue necessarily. Sometimes we have a revenue in there, but it's, you know, if we're, if we're trying to create revenue, it might be outbound calls or proposals submitted or, you know, client visits or, you know, number of, or an opposite, a health check of how many 
you know, NPS scores below a certain number or whatever, whatever it might be. So it's, it is a tricky element to get to those activities and, and think about what do we need to have at the end of the month. And we go step back until we get the first step of the process that we think is an opportunity that we might be missing if we don't keep our eyeballs on it. Yeah, we've and we've got the company and the team uh, scorecards reasonably w- well defined, and and they're probably not the best ones that we'll have over the next uh, few years. But they're pretty effective at getting a finger on the pulse. It's at that individual level. You know what we do to compensate for not having the scorecard is we manage more, we talk more, and it, not that that's a bad thing, especially in this time. Um, to, oh, that's to a, really, agreed, especially right now. Yeah, that's, that's fair. yeah. If you get, if you got um, the time, you should have conversations and find out what's going on. Right, but it's not. It doesn't have the precision or the feeling of uh, precision that a scorecard brings. And the scorecard, as long as the scorecard isn't something that is, oh, good, we have the scorecard and we don't need to talk anymore. I definitely don't think that's healthy for management. But I do think it is a missing piece that would give people a sense of place. And um, yeah. and you know, I think that's that's a hey, everyone's got everyone's a work in progress. Every business is a work in progress. And that's something that we as a leadership team know that is a current gap. We are actively discussing it. And I'm certain that it's going to make the cut in our vision traction organizer for next year as one of the top goals. Um, You know, we focus like on the employee value proposition this year. Um, Next year, it's going to be that individual measurable. Um, I I know it's going to make the cut because it's such a need and we're talking through it and um, it continues to bubble up to the top in our discussions as something we really need. Yeah, so there's a couple things to think about that. One is um, it's not not the same across all departments. So rolling out to the entire company, like 50 out of 50 people with with a measurable that's tough if some of the departments don't have pains compared to you know some partners who really have pains. And if you, and if you go to the, the team that's really got the pains, uh, it's, it can be helpful to say, what matters most? Because you, you put them in the room and they'll put up 15 metrics. Okay, cool. Great. Got some, we got some stuff to work with. What, what are the top three that if we really focused on, we could feel good we were, we were doing the right fundamental work? Because if you have more metrics, I mean, departmentally, five to 15 metrics is the same thing. But... It, when you're getting to a specific problem, more metrics is just more places to hide and more reasons to say I, I couldn't have done the other one. You know, like I was doing this one because I didn't do this one because I was doing this other one. And so we got to say, oh, like, yeah. that's fine. <laughs> but gosh, this is the you, one. Were you watching some of our meetings? I mean, that's definitely <laughs> happened. I mean, yeah, because that, that's the thing, too, about EOS is it provides a lot of structure and framework. And that's great, but it, it also um, it, there's a little wiggle room in play in there where you have to kind of try it yourself with your own team and see uh, yeah. where we call it hacking it, um, where you know people unintentionally can't help themselves. They hack the system a little bit yeah. uh, to 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 make it through their week. You know, the lack of preparation when you come into a meeting, you might hack it a little bit by uh, you know not not confessing. Yeah, I did not prepare for this. You like. Hey, I'm going to say something pithy, or I'm going to tell a joke, and oh, good, they they're laughing and they've heard me talk, and then I can they they didn't ask me the tough question. And people, here's a taco. Yeah, <laughs> want some people, more coffee? Yeah, people do that. They and and, and it's it's de- it's almost like a, a reflex in people's nature, yeah. and and so you know, I um, but, but that's uh, an important point because uh, people are prideful and they care, and what you're describing is the willingness to kind of. You know, it's it's important enough 
to these people to hit these metrics that they're that they're embarrassed or or, or trying to get out of the limelight. Yeah. What happens when you pay somebody on a metric? It, it means they're going to lie to your face if they have to. And so don't do that. That's a whole soapbox and truly another podcast in its entirety. I have a deep passion for what happens when you when you pay people for scorecard metrics. It's it, And my short answer to that is it's a pile of unintended consequences. Don't do it. Pay people for results. I'm, I'm not against variable compensation plans. I am very much for incentive for when when we all when we win, we, we, we all should win and we should we should take the rewards together in some generalized fashion. I'm a big fan of that. But in terms of really getting to the truth of what's working and what's not, just show people the facts. People want to do a good job. Give them an opportunity to the truth, and don't penalize them with money for for a low score. You need to you need to know the low score so you can fix the low score. If you pay them for the high score, they're going to hide the low score, and you're never going to find out what's going on. Anyway, true. And, it, and isn't the scorecard supposed to measure you your effectiveness at doing your job or the effectiveness of the team collaborating together to do the thing the team is there for? I mean, so yeah, I'm, I'm with well, you 100. Yeah. So like if you pay people on a profit share because you won the business and you kept the business, that's an end game result. And that makes people want to know as fast as possible if a client's unhappy. Like you should pay people, you shouldn't pay them, but like if you're going to pay them, pay them for bad news. Make them pull it out faster because that's what ultimately affects the goal. Not you know, the, the sooner you can find out the bad things, the sooner you can fix them, the more profit you have, the more you grow. That's a huge part of EOS, the identifying issues and staring at their ugly selves until you can figure out a way to break them down and solve it. Well, that, that's true. And you don't need any more barriers because just being honest with yourself is hard enough. Don't penalize people for it with monetary punishments. <laughs> we need to do great work with and just with vulnerability uh, yeah. and being open and honest. And, and when they set the bar for excellence super high, people want to bust their ass. I mean, you've got a high-performance team, and you say, and you just show the numbers, man, people don't want to have low numbers, and they want to go kick ass, and they want to do it authentically. They want to be on a winning team, um, and, and be seen you as You said winner. it. You said it. I can't. I can't top that. Yep, you are absolutely right. Well, thank you, man. I'm passionate <laughs> about the subject, and I'm glad. And that's why. That's how we, we got uh, got together on this because you know we, we have a common perspective uh, on on high performance teams. So we've covered a ton. Indeed, and uh, I'd lo- I'd love to. Th- is there anything else you feel like we want to add to this conversation? You want to add to this conversation? No, I mean, this was fantastic. I feel like we covered a lot of ground. Um, if anyone is, uh, you know, wanting to hear me talk for another 30 minutes, um, I, I can't imagine that. So I think we should probably do everyone a favor and say, this is, this is good. This is good. <laughs> well, so with that, uh, given all you've learned, given all we've experienced over the last nine months, what is your passionate plea to entrepreneurs right now? Oh, gosh, I think. This may be too touchy-feely, um, but I, I can't help myself from saying this. I've seen so much, especially in the last several years, how important an awareness of mental health is. Um, you know, having having 50 plus people, 54 people at Net Friends, I've certainly seen, you know, just by odds, people struggling with depression and anxiety and things like that. And um, one of the things that I've had to temper with the right person, right seat is making sure that when I'm making those assessments and thinking about people, I'm also asking good questions in one on ones and thinking about whether they 
are having anything going on with their own self and their health or uh, in their home space that might be interfering and accounting for that. It doesn't mean that you allow um, someone to underperform uh, and have you know their home life bleed into uh, work indefinitely, but that awareness that life is messy and those around us are, are uh, struggling. I think it, you know, COVID really made that really acute, but we had, um, we had a, a pretty surprising thing happen to us where one of our young employees um, had depression. We didn't know. And uh, they took their own life back in um, November of 2016. And that's something that, you know, it's November, it's that time. And, and every year um, there's a mental health awareness week in October. And every year we go to the walk for hope and, and remember Bill. And, um, and he's such a wonderful person. There's no reason why he should have succumbed to that. But it woke all of us up to the fact that there's, there's people in our organization that are struggling. And when we don't normalize and talk about mental health issues and incorporate that into our one-on-ones and really check in with folks, um, it's quiet and underground until it really manifests itself in a major way with folks. I have found that by having those conversations, being really open with it, um, I've had multiple people since uh, that thing happened with Bill. Um, I've had multiple people say, you know, honestly, thanks to the culture and, and support at NetFriends, um, I didn't go down that dark path, and I was going to. Um, you know, I don't want to. I don't want to get out too cheesy, uh, but they're like they say things like. You know, I think I think being here at NetFriends helped save my life. Yeah. Um, that's that's something I would. I, my passionate plea is: I know we're focused on the business. I know we're focused on profits and growth, and culture and all those different things. But don't forget about the real problems and challenges some of the folks are having, and um, make sure that you have an environment where those can come out and be surfaced and discussed, and and it's not stigmatized. That's my passionate plea. Just remember that those. That, that there are people out there that may have quiet struggles and mental health is one of those things you usually can't see. And um, so I would really just encourage everyone to, to just really consider that and think about that. Um, I hope nobody goes through what we went through losing Bill. Um, I don't think anyone is, is you know, it's, it's not guaranteed that that's an outcome for anybody else. But if you have those conversations and you might be heading down that path with one of your staff, um, gosh, it, it feels so amazing to be able to, uh, to, to give them the support they need at a time they need it, to have your entire culture um, be there for them. And that's my passionate plea. Please, please think about that in whatever way you can and incorporate that into, uh, into your, your daily walk in the business. Man, I love that. It's, a, it's such a, a beautiful thought, and I don't think it's too touchy-feely, too touchy-feely at all. Uh, for a lot of reasons, I'm, I'm learning the best visionaries are really interested in inner work. And, and it seems like, especially in a, in a world where a lot of physical labor businesses I work with, uh, you know, it really, it, we got to have have these conversations. And, and what I heard and what you said is, don't forget this game. The game has completely changed. The questions you asked last year are not enough. You have right. to find out what's going on outside of those walls. And I would uh, add some another dimension to what you said. And everything you said, I agree a hundred percent. But don't forget about yourself as a visionary leader the load is heavier for everyone 
everyone, yeah. even people whose businesses are doing really well. That doesn't mean there's not a, a weight of uncertainty and impact of, of the new life and a new world and spousal support and all the things that go with that. Um, so take care of yourself. Uh, be compassionate for yourself and, and, and get help if you need it uh, in, in little ways. I mean, I'm not saying call the support line. I'm saying, like, you know, if you're having a tough day, you know, get some help. That's a, This is a very reasonable time to have your friends and support uh, in any small or big way. So I love that. That's beautiful, and I appreciate you and kind of bringing us home on that. So if somebody wants to continue the conversation with you, how do they find you? Yeah, so um, anyone can email me at uh, uh, John S at netfriends.com, um, and um, I'm, I'm up on LinkedIn. Um, and, um, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm basically – those are the two best ways. I'm all over email. Um, I think Sammy, who works with you, Mark, will know that I'm basically I, – I, I don't want to say I treat email like a chat tool, but I almost do. I'm, I'm always on. So. Okay. Uh, <laughs> Well, that's good, man. So this has been great. I really, you know, we, we talk about how these conversations unfold as they unfold, but I was really, uh, I'm, I'm really inspired by what you said. I learned a lot in the conversation and uh, your time is, and your experiences have been a gift and I'm very grateful. Thank you. Thank you, Mark. I'm, I'm taking a lot of your scorecard um, <laughs> ideas to heart and, uh, and I, I feel your passion. I'm going to be re-listening <laughs> to that multiple times because that's where I need help and you, you're coming through with some real thought and passion there. Well, I hope to help. You know, it's no joke. I kick the podcast off as I believe everyone should feel in control of their life. In the entrepreneurial world, the entrepreneur's path to that is getting some control of the business. And so I'm obsessed with it. So if I can help in some small way, it's, it really is a, is a privilege. Well, thank you, man. Uh, that's it for today. Uh, those listening, please don't forget to subscribe. Share with friends. Get this in the hands of the people who can use it because it's not doing them any good if it's just... Uh, if it's just on the shelf somewhere. So providing feedback, we love it, good and bad. Anything you've got for us, we love it. We learn from it, all of it. Uh, and we will see you next time on You're Doing It Wrong with me, Mark Henderson Leary. This is You're Doing It Wrong with Mark Henderson Leary. For more episodes and to subscribe, go to leary.cc. 